Here's what I want to do today is I want to talk about something that, uh, that is very spiritual, but it doesn't feel very spiritual. In just a second, when I tell you what I'm going to talk about, you're going to be like, oh, it doesn't feel like it's that important. It doesn't feel like it's that, like it's that spiritual. And sometimes we can think that God only cares about like the really important things. You know, I don't know what your church background is or, or what your views of God are, but, but kind of in the traditional Christian lane, you know, we, we're, we're sure that God cares about sin. We're sure that God cares about if we read the Bible and pray and if we come to church. And we feel like that those are the things and those are important things, but we feel like those are the things that God really cares about and everything else is fine, but those are really the things that are most important. But there's so many parts of our lives that are spiritual. They're spiritual. They may not feel spiritual. They may not feel like they go into the categories of of Bible or or prayer or church attendance, but they're spiritual because they affect our spiritual lives. So so if if there's something going on in your life that is affecting your spiritual life, it's spiritual, right? And I, I, I mean, I could give you some examples of that. Like, it doesn't feel very spiritual, the, the kind of food that you eat. Like, the food that you put into your mouth, that doesn't feel like something spiritual. I mean, maybe some foods that you eat feel spiritual. I don't know. But, but in general, if, if, if we were going to talk about the kinds of food that you eat, uh, I had Joella's chicken for the first time the other day, by the way. I don't know if y'all have had that, but it was pretty good, chicken and waffles. But anyway, so um, that doesn't feel very spiritual, but it is because, or it can be, be because it affects um, our morale, it affects our energy, it affects the way that we feel, and sometimes it can be hard to, to follow Jesus if you always feel bad, you know, so that would be an example. Uh, how you spend your money doesn't feel very spiritual, uh, but it is, because nothing adds stress to your life like money. Nothing adds pressure to your life like money. It affects your, your heart and your emotions. And it's really hard to be all in for Jesus when you've got all this pressure financially in, in your life. Where you work doesn't feel very spiritual. Some of you are like, it's demonic. Where I work is demonic. Like it's just, it doesn't feel very spiritual. But let me tell you why it is. Because you spend the majority of your life there. And so it's amazing, like on the weekend, God could be doing something amazing, and then you go to work on Monday, and you lose all your momentum because mm, it's where you work, right? And, and, and so, and so uh, it's spiritual. So today, I want to talk about attitude. I want to talk about attitude. Specifically, I want to talk about expectation. Expectation. And I know that when I say expectation, that doesn't feel very spiritual. It doesn't feel like a spiritual topic, but, but it is because our attitude, it, it directs our life. And expectation, the expectations that we have, we usually either, we, we, I would say this way, we're going to live up to our expectations, and so right now, if you're somewhere that you don't want to be or you're not satisfied with where you are, the reality is you're probably living up to your expectations. Maybe you've lowered your expectations. I believe all of us in the room today need to raise our expectations. I believe we need to get our hopes up. I believe we need to raise our expectations. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to look at a couple of different parts 
uh, of the Bible, and we'll get to that in just a moment, okay? You're probably familiar with the phrase placebo effect in medicine. Uh, It's when someone believes that they're taking a real drug when they are, in fact, taking a, a fake drug, but their belief in the real drug causes their condition to improve. It's It's actually science. I don't know if you knew this, but if you take a sugar pill and you believe that it's a pain reliever, that belief releases endorphins in your brain, which which causes relief of pain. Now, it doesn't cure anything, but just the belief in it, because you really believe it, releases endorphins and causes some relief in pain. And I read an interesting article the other day uh, about author Chris Burdick, and he wrote the book Mind Over Mind. And he did research into the power of the placebo effect. Specifically, he was looking at the power of expectation. And what he did is he broadened his research into all kinds of other areas besides just medicine. And what he found is that the expectation you bring to a situation largely determines your experience. Let me say that again. What he found through his research is that the expectation that that you bring to a situation largely determines your experience. Let me give you a couple examples. These are from his his book and his his research, but you'll you'll love these. So here's a couple examples of how the expectation you bring to a situation determines experience. Uh, Brain scans reveal that expectations about a wine's quality based on price and critic review actually change the level of activity in the brain when you take a sip of it. So if it's more expensive and a critic said it was good, your expectation causes brain activity to say, this is really high quality stuff, even if it's garbage because of your expectation. Here's another one for you. Highly trained weightlifters consistently outdo their personal bests when they believe that beforehand they have taken a performance booster. Even if they haven't taken a performance booster, if they believe they've taken a performance booster, they usually set personal records because they believe it. But this is my favorite one right here, okay? In some field experiments, they found that people who stand in powerful poses like superheroes <laughs> for a minute or two have hormonal changes to people who are actually given power and authority over another person, these people exhibit those behavioral changes. So in other words, if you stand like Superman for two minutes, you start to feel and act like Superman. This is science. It changes the the, the activity in your brain. It it causes you to, to change. Just walking in a room with your head up changes your experience in the room. Changes your experience in the room. So in the simplest terms, here's what science teaches us, okay? Science teaches us that expectation determines experience. Expectation determines experience. All right, now let me give you one more story before we learn from the Bible, because we're going to get the Bible because... The Bible's been talking about this long before science, but I want to give you one more little study that I read recently. In 2006, Stanford University performed a study to determine if learning to control the fear of pain could help control the severity of pain. 
In other words, they wanted to see if it was possible for something to hurt less if you think about it less before it happens. So this was significant because it was the first study to analyze the relationship between anxiety and pain tolerance. Is everybody still with me? All right. So researchers began by giving these random psychological tests to determine the individual anxiety levels of each participant. For example, they asked about times in the past when the person had experienced a severe stomach ache. So they would say, think back to a time when you have, you know, you really had some stomach pain or stomach ache. And and was the assumption of that person that they had stomach cancer or they had just eaten bad pizza for lunch? Like, was it just like a bad meal or was it something really serious Think back to when that happened. Next, researchers used a questionnaire to measure how fearful people were in different types of physical pain, raging, like of physical pain. So when they think about certain pain, small and large, how nervous do they get? Like something as small as a paper cut, something as extreme as as like a broken neck. Like if when I say that, how anxious do you get? Some of you in the room are like, oh my gosh, I'm like so anxious right now. And then lastly, they analyzed brain activity while the, the, the people that were being studied experienced different levels of pain. They took a heat probe and they stuck it on their forearm, not enough to like burn them, burn them, but enough to definitely apply a little, a little, bit, of, uh, a little bit of sting. And they, and they analyzed the brain activity while they were, while they were applying that heat to, the, to their arm, Okay. And after brain scans and questionnaire scores, results showed what, what you already know. If you've ever tried to pull a splinter or a tooth out of a kid's mouth or, or hand or finger, right? Here, here's what they found out. Is that the anticipation and expectation of pain determine to a large degree how painful something is. Simply put, the more you fear it, the more you feel it. The more you fear it before it happens, the more you feel it when it happens. Now, today's sermon is not about pain or about fear, but this study gives us a great starting point to talk about the power of expectation. The power of expectation. Expectation determines experience. Expectation determines experience experience. Jesus was talking about this long before Stanford University. The Bible was talking about this idea of attitude and expectation long before science was. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at a few different verses in the Bible where Jesus talks about the power of expectations, where the Bible in some different places talks about the power of expectations. And I think this is so important for all of us in the room today And it's not just, this is not some type of like mind over matter thing. This is a spiritual issue for us. Because I believe some of us are disappointed with life. We're consistently disappointed with life because we expect life to disappoint us. Some of us feel let down by God because we expect God to let us down. Some of us are alone. Because we expected all along that we would be alone. Some of us have stopped learning because we don't believe we have anything else to learn. Some of us are constantly frustrated by our spouse because we expect our spouse to constantly frustrate us. Let's keep going. Some of us 
feel distant from God because we don't believe that we're allowed to be close to him. Expectation determines experience. And so this is more than just mind over matter, mumbo jumbo. I'm not saying that if you keep telling yourself that you can fly, that you're going to fly. You following me? Okay, so this is not like you can psych yourself up to the point that you can do something that by the laws of nature you, you, you can't do. That's not what I'm saying. But what we are going to learn today is that our experiences, specifically our experiences with God, usually live up to the level of our expectations. Is everybody with me? Okay, so Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, this is Jesus doing ministry in the Gospels, and we're going to read from Matthew 13, and then real quickly, we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 2. Uh, you can follow along with, with uh, you, you know, your Bible or your iPad or your eyeballs, you know, they'll be up there. You can read along there. Uh, best preacher joke I got today. Um, and so Matthew 13 and Acts chapter 2, this is Jesus. This is what it says. We're going to start at, uh, Matthew 13, verse 53, verse 53. This is what it says. Where does it say it? There it is. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he loved that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? 55. Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son, talking about Joseph, because he's in his hometown, so they know his mom and dad and, and the school teachers and all that stuff. They said, he's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things, 57, and they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him? Quick summary of 53 through 58. They saw Jesus, and because they were familiar with him and they knew him, they said, he can't do it. And they were right. They said, he can't do it, so he didn't do it. Okay? Now, I'm going to read one more story. We'll come back to 13 in a second. I'm going to read one more story. This is from Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, verses 42, 43. This is what it says. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. 43, a deep sense of awe, everybody say awe, came over them all, and the apostles performed many Miraculous signs and wonders. So, so we've got these two stories. In, in one story, we see that there are people who are scoffing and offended. And in the other story, we see people who are in awe. And in one story, we see where there were very few miraculous things done. And in the other story, we see where many miraculous things are done. And the difference in the stories are not that many. If you really want to get crazy about it, in the first story, they had Jesus. Jesus was there. But their expectation and attitude was actually more powerful than Jesus's power in that instance. 
And the Bible says, I'm not making this up, the Bible says he, did, he didn't do many miracles because of them. Because of them, he didn't do any. And then you've got Acts 2, and, and it's in the order that it's in for a reason. It would make sense if it said the apostles did many miraculous signs and wonders and a deep sense of awe came over them all. Th- that would be amazing. Like if, we, if, if, if in this service today, crazy miracles started happening and everyone left here with a deep sense of awe, they would go, well, yeah, because many miracles happened, but that's not what it says in this story. It has it in a different order. Before anything happened, it says a deep sense of awe came over them, comma, then the apostles performed many miraculous signs. Two stories heading for the same outcome. We want miraculous signs, power, awesome. That was amazing. Wow, I was there when type of moments. The difference is the first group were offended. The second group was in awe. First group was offended. Second group was in awe. I looked up. Sometimes I just want to check definitions because sometimes we think words mean certain things. Uh, that they don't, or, or sometimes they do. The, to be offended, you, you probably know this, but to be offended means to be resentful or annoyed. And the reason I like that definition is because, because we, we, we go into a lot of situations and environments where we wouldn't say, I'm offended. We think offended means like, how dare you, like a f- real deep offense. But I'm in situations all the time where I'm annoyed. Any, anybody, am I the only one that's just, just constantly, okay. I'm not offended, but I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. And then awe means a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. And wonder. And so in this second story, we see the order is awe came over them all, many miraculous signs. And I think that's so important for us because most of us in the room think, well, I'll change my attitude when my situation changes. But this story is an example of our situation changes when we change our attitude. Did you catch that? We think, I'll change my attitude when my situation changes. This story is an example to where our situation changes after we change our attitude. And so I just wonder... As, as we're thinking through, because I'm going to challenge you in like five areas in just a second, but as we're thinking through our life and thinking through, you know, we've got all these lanes in our life. We've got the family life. We've got the kids, the parenting life. I'll talk about that in a second. We've got the, the, parent, the, the marriage lane. You know, we've got the career lane. We've got the spiritual lane. Maybe we've got, maybe we've got the, the friend lane, depending on where you're at uh, in your life right now. And, I, and so I wonder how many environments we're in, how many meals around the dinner table, how many date nights, how many staff meetings, how, how many group texts, whatever, that, that we come into those environments with an expectation for something great, beneficial, helpful, or we are in those environments uh, resentful and annoyed. And then we are frustrated by the outcome of all of the lanes that we're in, but we walk into all of those lanes resentful and annoyed. Are you following what I'm saying? The difference in these two stories is attitude and expectation. Attitude and expectation. 
The first group said, oh, we know him. He can't really do much. And they were right. He didn't do much. The second group said, God is going to do something amazing. And they were right. God did something amazing. You know what's crazy when I read that first story is I can just picture, because I know me and I know uh, uh, other people, um, I can just picture them walking home, not sad and disappointed that they missed out on miracles. I can picture them walking, going, walking home going, see, I told you. They don't even realize that they missed a moment to experience something amazing. They feel completely validated. Yeah, I told you, we know his mom and dad, he ain't that special. Missing moments with Jesus because they predecided their attitude and expectation. And I wonder in my life how many times something doesn't happen or something uh, negative does happen. And I'm like, see, I told you. Assuming that it was inevitable, but not realizing that my attitude and expectation really dictated the outcome of what happened. You following me? And I think this is a great moment where we can stop and, and really just recognize the power of honor. The power of, of honor. Jesus, in every other town, was esteemed as the Son of God, the miraculous Jesus. But we know what it's like to like go home for the holidays. You, you know what I mean? We know what it's like to be amazing at our work. But then, like, go, go home for the holidays and, and, like, they're telling stories making fun of you from your childhood. You know what I mean? I, I was just home for my grandmother's funeral, and we cut up about it all the time. My dad's probably going to listen to this podcast, which is great, Dad. You can listen to this. But, um, so I'm 34 years old, and every time I go home to my, side, my, my dad's side of the family, they only talk about stories when I was, like, 14. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm like, that was 20 years ago, two decades. Can we let that go? I mean, yes, I did that. Yes, I said that. I understand. Yes, I, I got the eyebrow tattoo. The, I, I mean, the, the piercing. I, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But, I, I, but you know what I'm talking about? There's something about your hometown. There's something about your house where you're not honored. Let me give you one more definition. Honor means high respect, esteem. But here's my favorite definition, privilege. Honor, to, to view someone with honor means to view it as a privilege to be with them. And it's just not something as a culture and a society that we really talk about much anymore and we really don't do much anymore because you're really not that much better than me. What do you have to offer me? What could I really learn from you? I can figure that out myself. I know your flaws. I know, you know, like, and so we don't really esteem and honor and don't really view it much as a privilege. There are a few people that we hold up on a pedestal. And so if I was to say, like, hey, I mean, I don't know, I mean, everybody's in different areas, but if I was to say, I don't know, Oprah Winfrey or Barack Obama or Donald Trump or, I don't know, Justin Bieber, whoever, right? they're going to be here. Y'all weren't with me on the politics. Justin Bieber was what did it. But there's this feeling of like, oh my gosh, he's going to be here. He's going to be here. And, and, and so we would go from sitting on the back row to the front row. We would go from getting here five minutes late to 15 minutes early. You know why? Because we would view it as a privilege to be able to be there. So why am I talking about honor? I'm talking about honor because 
if I don't see value in someone, then they cannot add value to me. If I don't see value in someone, they cannot add value to me. I can't gain anything from someone I believe has nothing to offer. But Jesus believes that everyone has something to offer. Jesus believed that everyone was worth dying for. Jesus believes and created everyone with a gift inside of them. But if I don't honor, if I don't honor or have a view of honor, have an idea or a mindset of honor with the people that I'm around or the people that I'm with, I'll never be able to gain or learn or benefit from being with them because I don't honor them. But it's not just honoring up. It's not just convincing yourself that somebody you don't think is important is really important. It's just viewing every interaction and every opportunity as an opportunity to see value in someone. So you can honor your children by seeing value in them. You can honor your boss. He's an idiot. Maybe. But maybe you just expect him to be an idiot. But if you viewed it as a privilege to work for them, you're like, you don't know him. But what if you decided for the next 30 days that you were going to treat them like you were working for whoever. You know, I don't know who you think is important, but Warren Buffett, I don't know. Bill Gates, you know what I mean? Like, I get to sit under their tutelage? I, I, I get to be in meetings with them? They pay me to come and learn from this guy? Privilege, right? Privilege. If I believe you have value, you will add value to me. So I just wrote down a couple of these. My boss can teach me something. My spouse can teach me something. My kids can teach me something. That if I decide to go into an environment that usually makes me resentful and and annoyed, but I changed my mind and I predetermined and I pre-prayed walking in there, God, will you give me fresh ears and fresh eyes to view this as an opportunity and a privilege, then, then maybe God could do something. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I got about three minutes left. What do we do with this? As you look at the areas of your life where you are the most disappointed and frustrated, question for you today, how's your attitude? If I was to ask you to take a pen right now and to write down the top five areas of your life where you're the most annoyed, the most resentful, the most disappointed, the most frustrated, my question to you is, How is your attitude? And when you look at those areas, be honest enough with yourself to ask yourself, do you go into those areas with the expectation of being annoyed, frustrated, disappointed, and done wrong? Church, job, marriage, kids. We talk to people sometimes, it's not as common around here. I say, yeah, I just don't, I'm not getting anything out of church anymore. But then on the same row could be someone whose life is being changed in the most miraculous fashion. Same sermon, same song, same building, same people. What's the difference? It's usually attitude and expectation. People show up and say, man, God's, I can't wait to be there. God's going to do something amazing today. Other people show up and be like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. We'll see. Job. I hate my job. This job's pointless, this job's a dead end, as opposed to an attitude that says, it's not the greatest job, but it's preparing me for what God has next for me. You with me? Marriage, they're a bum, they're a loser, that I, I, right? 
they're going to live up or down to the level of your words, as opposed to deciding today, I can't believe I get to be married to them. Are you kidding me? Kids, kids, like, like the idea that my kids are just so frustrating, but you kind of already predetermined. I've been really convicted lately just because I talk so bad about my boys because they're just really testing us right now. Y'all know, y'all around me, you're like, how are your kids? I'm like, oh, my girls are just amazing. And they just keep being amazing. I'm like, but them boys, good Lord, I don't know. And you know what? They are living up to my expectations. I'm like, yeah, they're going to break something today. They do. I just had enough of them. Well, yeah, really quickly, the fuse is, you know, you understand what I'm saying? But what would happen if I changed my attitude to say, God, I can't believe that you have blessed me with the opportunity to raise these guys who you, who've given so much energy to. I'm trying here, come on. That you, have, that you have blessed with so much passion, God. And, 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 and God, I, I want to view it as a privilege to be their dad, not as a chore. Do you think that would change the temperature in the home a little bit? Right? Politics, I ain't got time to get into that. But you'll find what you're looking for. You know what I mean? So let me just challenge you. Five areas. I got a rapid fire. Here we go, machine gun. Write these down. I want to challenge you to listen with expectation. Listen with expectation. When you come into church, lean in. The reason that so many of us have a journal and a pen and we're taking notes is because I believe if we're listening for something to learn, we will learn something. I believe that. I believe The reason that so many people are like, that's so good. That is so good. You're like, what? I didn't hear it. What was so good? It's because if I'm, if I'm listening for something that's good, I'm going to find something that's good. So, I'm a, I'm a, so listen, when you go into staff meeting at your job or, when you are, or whenever you're put in a position where you have to listen, don't listen annoyed or resentful or done. Listen with expectation. Man, I'm going to get something out of this conversation. I'm going to get something out of this sermon. I'm going to get something out of this. I am going to listen with expectation. Number two, pray with expectation. Pray with expectation. If you pray, God, you know, I'm going to pray about this guy, but it probably won't matter anyway. You're right. Instead of praying by saying, God, I am praying and I am believing for something big. I can't believe I get to pray to you, God. And God, I'm just, and you're praying with expectation, believing something big. Serve with expectation. Believe that God is going to use me to make a big difference today. I'm not, we're talking about church, but we're also talking about anything, doing the laundry at home. What would happen if you change the expectation, change the attitude, that God is going to use me to do something big today to make a big difference, even though it doesn't feel like it. love. Number four, love with expectation. Love with expectation. God is going to use me to model his love today. I'm going to love the annoying out of you. I, I, I'm going to love the devil out of you. Like if you're married to somebody that like y'all just really struggling because you can't stand them, just change the expectation. I am going to love them so much 
that they're going to have to leave me as fast as possible or they're going to have to change. But I'm going to love them. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm I'm just going to love them so much. And I'm going to wake up in the morning with an expectation that my love is changing them. You got a kid who says, I hate you and don't want to talk to you? Change the expectation. I am going to love the hate out of them. Expectation. You think that would change the temperature a little bit? Number five, work with expectation. Work with expectation. When you wake up tomorrow, I said this a couple years ago. One of y'all took me up on it. But why don't, when you get up tomorrow, why don't you dress like you're expecting to get a promotion tomorrow? Why don't you show up at the time that you would show up if you were the boss of the office? Why don't you carry yourself like you run the place? Work with expectation. God is up to something big even when it feels like I'm not. This may not be the ultimate awesome that God has for me, but he's preparing me right now for the next thing or the better thing or whatever it is. I'm not saying that you're working in a dream place, but I'm saying that attitude and expectation determine a lot of the experience that you have. Go clean your office up. Clean the desk off. Get that thing organized. Treat it like it is the CEO's office, and work with expectation because expectation determines experience. Here's what I believe with all my heart is that if you will expect more, expect greatness, expect better, expect God to exceed your expectations, expect church to be even better, expect your friends to get saved, expect God to answer prayers, Expect to have a conversation or an encounter with somebody tomorrow on the way to work or, or on lunch break or whatever. Just say, God, I'm just expecting you to, 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 to help me bump into somebody that needs help today. You will be amazed how many people you bump into that need help because you're looking for it, because you're expecting it. Expectation determines experience. So why don't we all raise our expectations? See what God does, okay? Let's pray.